Good evening, everybody. 25 March 2021, The Viewpoint, Songezoma Betre. Let's hope this evening is going to be a great evening because I had a day from hell, certainly the first half of. There's been some recovery in the second half, and this, hopefully, the final stretch will make it in the final analysis for me. A great day, Mr. Andile Zulu, political essayist and columnist, is on the line from the Malian Guardian. The relevance of monarchs in democratic societies with a focus on Africa. The second story, communication, a human need and a human right. A conversation with Juan Borman, Professor, Center for Argumentative and Alternative Communication at Takis University of Pretoria. Final conversation in this hour, Mr. Lunga Nalandlovu, founder of Ride Abuse Foundation. He's a cyclist. He's already done 3,000 Ks around South Africa, Lesotho, Eswatini, and Mozambique. Once with a friend, Ronald Matebula. Now he's done Cape Town, Johannesburg to raise awareness for GBV support organization. That's the first hour. Second hour, you know, of course, hashtag all together now, Student Night, Mario Mayer policy analyst at the youth capital. So, without much to say, other than to say good evening, Andilif. Good evening, good evening, good evening to you and your guests. The relevance of monarchs in democratic societies. Your thoughts? Open-ended question. Tell me what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think it's, I go by the simple principle that where power exists, it has to justify itself. Um, what we often forget is that power requires submission to it and that it demands people it, dem- it demands that people be controlled and i think everyone has an inherent right towards freedom and so if someone or an institution exercises power over people then the burden of proof is on the powerful to justify why they deserve to rule and so in regards to monarchs often the justification is weak it's simply based on birthright so we need to have a serious discussion as to why these institutions still possess the power that they do. Is democracy an, any strong an argument? Well, yes. Democracy for governing is, the affairs of people? Yes. Well, democracy is a much stronger argument because instead of being elected simply through rights, ideally what we would want is a leader to prove their ability to govern through their efficiency, through you know, refreshing ideas for policy and legislation, and of course, through providing actual benefits for citizens. And in a democracy, we have checks and balances. Um, We have the ability to elect our leaders and dispose of them if we believe that their leadership is unjustified. (laughs) Easier said than done. Sorry, can I hear you again? Easier said than done to elect and dispose or depose of leaders as and when the society, whatever the society maybe justifies as, justified as, is not satisfied with its leadership, although democratically elected. It's not always possible to get rid of a leader. It's not always possible to have the leader that that society desires, as it were. Yes, and that's the particularly difficult part, is that, again, ideally we'd want a situation where a leader can be removed when they're proved to be inefficient. But, of course, there are actual barriers in the way of doing that. But comparatively with a monarchy, it is much more difficult to demand that someone be removed because they can simply say to themselves that I was born to rule over you. I was born to have this position, whether through the divine rights of kings or through other authorities, that individual has a claim that is much more difficult to challenge as compared to the mechanism of, say, uh, democratic Mm -hmm. elections and so on. So comparatively, you have and uh, the possibility of holding leadership accountable is much easier through a democracy as compared to the rules of kings and queens who often have to be forcibly 
removed when they have abused their powers. I want to understand and so and so frame the conversation and so, of course, to bring in the listeners at home. Are we talking about a situation whereby it is just absolute monarchy and there is no other system of regulating the affairs of those people? In other words, there isn't a prime minister, there isn't a government, it's the king and the king alone, with ever who the king's councillors are for the purposes of advising in the administration of that country? Or are we talking, as is the case in the United Kingdom, for instance, where there is a prime minister who is the de facto head of government and government business and administration, but he or she, in this case, he would report to the monarch, Elizabeth Windsor in this instance. Which conversation are we actually having? So we're working in the context, specifically in South Africa, where we have a democratically elected government that handles most affairs in terms of day-to-day governance on both provincial and national level. Mm-hmm. But then what you have, on the other hand, are indigenous leaders who, although don't have much power politically in terms of being able to create policy and legislation, what they do have is a significant amount of support from the states, as in they have a lot of money that is granted to them from the states. And in the instances specifically of the Zulu royal family, which, well, pre- before the king had passed away, they have the Ingonyama Trust, which means that they have ownership of over 30% of land in KZN. They're able to collect rent through that, and they're able to also influence how the KZN government presides over its people. And so the question is, what gives monarchs the right to have those types of benefits, but also in the instance of the Zulu royal family, to decide how people's lives are lived in terms of the land that is available to them, and also to make decisions in regarding to investment and business on that land itself. Okay. I I do want to invite the listeners to come through because I'm still trying to get a... And I'm reluctant to have my personal views come through, even though it's going to inevitably come through. This is an interesting one. Mr. Andy Lezul is a political essayist and columnist at the Mail and Guardian. The relevance of monarchs in democratic societies in Africa, the only one so far that has been mentioned in the context of this conversation, is South Africa. And the one monarch that has been singled out is that of the Zulu nation and the kingdom. Of course it would at this particular time, and we still honor and pay our respects to a nation that mourns the passing of its leader in the late King Goodwill's Zulatini. But this is a debate of national significance and importance. So let's have your opinions come through. Johannesburg 714-2006. We have callers coming through, and I do appreciate that. What is wrong with the coexistence of both the monarch and the established institutions of democratic rule, where, at least manifestly, there isn't an obvious tension or a tension that is concerning enough to warrant even the entertainment of replacing one with the other or obliterating one for the other. Why can't we just as we are continue as we have been? That's a good question. And the question centers around the concern of power. See, the issue, you can have indigenous leaders who play a role in terms of guiding their community to certain cultural values, to certain customs, ensuring that certain pieces of heritage are maintained and preserved. The issue then comes in when individuals are able to wield power over others, unelected and unaccountable. And that's often the issue with indigenous leadership, not just since our democracy, but even before the dawn of democracy. So I respect the role of indigenous leaders as people who preserve culture and preserve heritage, 
but that doesn't mean that one should have entitlements over material wealth or over land, for example. Um, that's where the central issue then begins to come in. Are you saying that is an issue because it hasn't yielded the fruits, therefore it should be out, or fundamentally it is flawed on that basis? In other words, are we looking at the returns, if you like, of those who are subject to a particular area that belongs to a particular king or is led or is under the power or rule of a particular king, looking at the outcomes in that particular space saying, actually, no, this doesn't work, or despite that, are you simply saying it shouldn't be and we should be governed by a democratic system on the basis that there are those inherent checks and balances? So the, the issue, again, is on the burden of proof. So if we look, for example, at how the land under the Ingonyama Trust has been managed, there have been clear abuses of power. Where people have been removed from their homes, where people are forced to pay rents which they can't afford to pay, because KZN is one of the poorest provinces in the country. So clearly we have instances of power being abused, resulting in detriment for citizens. So again, if there was some situation where monarchs were able to prove their utility towards the people, were able to yield benefits through their rule, then perhaps the, the conversation would shift about how can we accommodate that. But if we look at the history of monarchs in general, the idea that power can be concentrated within an individual, granted sometimes they do, of course, defer to their, um, to their counselors and so on, mm-hmm. but more often than not, concentrated power has proven to be an inefficient way to govern, an inefficient way to decide policy, legislation, financial matters. And this applies not only to monarchies, but of course it applies to even dictatorships. The same reason why we would object to a dictatorship is the same reason why we would object to a king or a queen having that much power. Okay, we're getting somewhere in the context of me just making sure that I'm always within the framework and context. We're talking about concentrated power, in other words, where the power only rests with whoever is the monarch at that particular time for that given community. Now, in the South Africa context, of course, there isn't any one person in the monarchy space, traditional leadership role, so to speak, who has that concentrated power outside only in the territory that has been demarcated for them. And even then... There's a constitution that ultimately is supreme law. So I I, I want to understand um, if I were to say conclude, and you're not concluding, of course, if if I were to say Mm. conclude this point, conclude your contributions here, what is the takeaway that I should take insofar as it relates to the relevance of monarchs in democratic societies in South Africa, and what should I go and implement tomorrow, assuming I had that power to implement what you're going to say? I think what can be taken away is that As Africans, the consistent problem for us for the past 300 years at least is that our autonomy, our ability to decide how our lives are lived, has been always usurped by other authorities, whether it was colonialists, whether it was the National Party. And indigenous leaders have been a part of that structure, which although they don't have total concentrated power, but again, power is never totally concentrated, even within a dictatorship, but nonetheless, at the lower levels, of power. There are instances where an individual is able to decide how people's lives are lived, not on their behalf, but towards their own interests. So, for example, when King Goodwill Zelatini was challenged on the Ingonyama Trust, when it was found to be an unconstitutional structure, instead of being willing to have a debate about how land should be utilized and distributed, um, he instead threatened secession from South Africa, and he instead threatened violence against South African people 
for challenging his legitimacy to have that much domination over land. And that's an issue. When one man is able to instill fear in the national government to the point where the president had to come down and grovel before the king, assuring him that the ANC would not touch any of his land. And the question is, why aren't the people who work on that land, who gain from that land, who live on that land, consulted about these matters? So again, the issue is how power, even if it is not highly concentrated, but still concentrated in one person, is used against individuals and not towards their benefits. I'll ask one final comment. I'll ask one final question before I go to Alfred, Anonymous, KGM and Aisha in Peter Maritzburg, Broader KZN, somewhere in the Republic and Uppington respectively. The context is Africa. Monarchs are Africa. Africa are monarchs or certainly traditional systems of rule and governance over the affairs of people. This concept of democracy is new, at best 200 years new. Mm. Why should that, in what I'm hearing you say as possibly the takeaway, why should the system that is the people yield to something that is a system that is not the people? Mm. I think that's a fantastic question, and it's one that I often come across when dealing with these matters. What we have fallen into the trap of believing as Africans is that certain universal values are in fact particular to a continent. But if you look throughout history in the continent and abroad, the impulse to be free for a human being to govern themselves and to decide how their lives should be lived is truly universal. Wherever individuals have tried to suppress freedom, people have resisted against it. And then what a lot of Africans seem to think is that if Europeans had never arrived, we would have never evolved beyond the point of monarchy. But I believe that there would have, we would have reached a point where we realized that this type of governance isn't as effective or as efficient as we would like it to be. Um, so the impulse towards democracy, I believe, is not a, a value that is unique or exclusive to Europe. Granted, Europeans were able to formalize it and were able to extend it and whatnot. But nonetheless, that impulse to govern yourself and decide how your life should be lived collectively as a community is one that mm. is truly universal. No, I appreciate your thoughts, and I'm actually trying to engage this without trying to betray my thoughts, but this is a microcosm of what happens for human beings among human beings. There's always mm. somebody who's going to rule, there's always somebody who's going to lead, and there's always somebody who's going to follow. It just works that way. You are born into a family. You have parents. For the first years, you are told what to do. Many decisions are made for you. And then you grow. Some decisions are made by you. The majority are still not your decisions to make. And then you leave the next and then you are fully autonomous. Mm. But you still go home. You go back to the nest from which you were born. So the regulation of affairs among people, of course, inherent is that freedom. But even within that, there's always mm. governance and there's a way of coordinating behavior. Your father's your father and your mother's your mother. It doesn't matter how old you are. For so long as you have a father, you're under somebody's authority. Now... I am saying that without necessarily requiring a response. I have a lot of callers coming through, and I want yes, them to yes. engage. So, Andila, with your indulgence, please, let's do so. Alfred, okay, Anonymous, great. KGM, Aisha. Good evening, everybody. I'm fine. Your points are more important. Alfred. Marco, look old. Bye, Ed. i yeah, he Yes, sir. Yeah, look, but um, safe to say, 
which human beings deserve best treatment or better treatment or to be treated with uh, in such a way that uh, still um, preserves their dignity to humanity. Uh, <clears throat> I would say that uh, the monarchs are the custodian of our tradition, are the custodian of our cultures. Um, our cultures also are expressed uh, in our language as well, in our languages. When you go to Tossas, when you take that history, I, d I do not know. Let me let me greet my brother there, the, your guest. Yes. about Who's that called? Yeah, yeah, he's still there. Go, go, for it. go for it. Go yeah. for it, please. When you read our history, um, you find that more than good, you will see the depth of the damage that was done to our lives as Africans by the white system, that is the democracy, through the arm of the religion. Now, today, if you walk, if you may walk in the studios of, uh, or the offices of SAPC, dressed in closer attire, um, you may be looked at, they will say only once, hey, was Wamushi. Then the rest of the days, no, 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 no. Today, <clears throat> under democracy, we have one month to celebrate our heritage. That is September only. And we have one day in Africa to celebrate our Africanness. That is um, that one May. 25. Africa, Africa Day. Yes. So that is that tells you that we have got 31 days only in a year to celebrate ourselves. So who came with that? Is democracy? Perfect question to ask. Perfect point. I have to move on with your indulgence, please. Thank, and thank you, Alfred. Let's go to anonymous in case then. Uh, hello, Sangeza, and your guest. I, I must say, I was uh, listening to your guest's point of view. It's got admirable point of view. Mm -hmm. I loved every one of them that he said. But my point of view is this. Um, you know, uh, when we talk about the monarchs, in the old era, everyone was separated, and people were not literate. So they did not follow the democ democratic rule. They followed the traditional rule, and they all walked in that direction. So, therefore, we had, because people didn't know where to go. They were in parliament then. Indian people couldn't go to Parliament, black people couldn't go to Parliament, colored people couldn't go to Parliament. The only people that were in Parliament were of white origin and Africana origin. So therefore, people followed, they believed because they were not literate as well, so they didn't understand right from wrong. So they believed what the head of departments who, were, who they elected were there for them. Whether it was right or whether it was wrong, we don't know because we didn't have the knowledge then.
Thank you so much, Thanks. Anonymous. I appreciate that. Though I have to disagree with you. Literacy cannot just be determined as to whether or not the ABC alphabet is understood by those people. Literacy simply means can people engage each other and the information that is around them for the collective development and advancement of that particular society. Hieroglyphics, for instance, is not the Roman alphabet, but the Egyptians go into history are more than self-sufficient. The records in Timbuktu in what is now present-day Mali speaks of an African continent that was more than sufficient before the advent of colonization. We had a guest, Shadrach, um, Professor um, Shadrach from UCT, who spoke about pirate technology and how what we now know as Limbobo and Zimbabwe, going as far afield as parts of Eastern Africa where there was trade among ourselves. It wasn't literacy as you and I might know it, but certainly those people were literate and certainly advanced enough to engage their socioeconomic circumstances without being disturbed. And every human being, if I continue to disagree with you, has inherent ability to establish or determine what is right and what is wrong. We're all born with it. Of course, we might be convinced by how societal norms and conventions are structured such that we might lose our ability to distinguish between right and wrong. Thank you, Anonymous. I'm just disagreeing, but I appreciate your contributions. KGM, the Republic somewhere, where are you? Uh, I'm somewhere in the Western Cape. Uh, uh, good evening, <laughs> Songezo. Good evening to your guests and to the fellow listeners. I might have to to go to KZN and and go drink tea with Anonymous. Uh, I hope by the time I come back, I would have made her understand the points that you've been uh, sharing with her. Uh, Songes, Mm. uh, monarchies, this so-called our traditional rule or way, in fact, it's not. I have done Cape to Cairo four times. And the objective was to understand myself as an African. And as a Mosaro, a proud one for that matter, I'll tell you this much. Today we call ourselves Tosas, Zulus, Basaro, and so forth. Before the so-called civilization, which came with democracy, we were here, we lived. People might not know or might not like how we lived, but we lived, we were here. Mm. It is a, a fallacy. It's actually an insult, to say the least, what Anonymous is saying, that we didn't know the difference between right and wrong. She should come. I'll, I'll take her back home in Khalakhadi. I'll show her that we're still living the way we were living. And, and she might actually come back with a lot of knowledge than th- she thinks she knows or she's learned from democracy. But my point, mm. as a departing shot, Please. is this. For as long as we think, like your guest, that because we are indoctrinated to believe that what came from across the oceans is the only way, and our way can never be, as long as we don't see unfairness in the resources and the amount of time that we have put and continue to put in perfecting the system that has been designed to divide and rule us, we will never know ourselves, Songeso. That's the most unfortunate part. Songeso, hey, thank, thank you. you for taking my call. Thank you so much for your contribution. Aisha in Uppington, thank you so much for calling. Welcome. Good evening, Songeso, and to your guests and to the listeners. Mm-hmm. KGM, send me some wind. Um, <laughs> I'd like to answer your guest about d- democracy. It's obviously not working for us in South Africa because we can't get rid of the leaders when they're wrong. 
Look at the corruption in the country. Now, let me come to the point about traditional communities and traditional leadership. I can speak from our context. In our context, it's an egalitarian system where everybody gives their input and the committee of elders chooses the person that is to follow. That's one. Two, um, the Baralong in Northwest, I think that their name is the Baralong. The one there with the platinum mines, what is their, their name, Sangeza? I'm going to tell you now. Um, carry on, I'm going to tell you now. I'm going to tell you now. Okay. Now, that is the system... For the Bafo King. The Bafo King. Uh, yes, it's the Bafo King. That is the system that our land should follow. They have... They, they practice traditional practices and they participate in the modern world. And they are... Uh, Very Extremely well off. Yeah. And they don't depend on the municipality... They provide for all of their people. Now, after listening to your guest, he is only focusing on the Zulus. This is a much broader issue that has to be addressed nationally and how we fix our, our country. Sure. Thank Excellent. You. Thank you so much, Aisha. Let's play one voice note. Andy Lazulu, you've got lots to respond to. So one voice note. And then you conclude everything of and about this segment. Of course, it has been about the relevance of monarchs in democratic societies with a focus and slant to Africa. Hi, I'm just curious, but do we South African citizens pay tax towards the upkeep of the various royal families in the country? And secondly, are these kingdoms physical realms or is it something more abstract? I would also like to know that if one resides within the physical you know, closeness of a royal palace or of the king, do we then fall under the jurisdiction and the rule of this reigning monarch? Or do we still sort of, you know, pay homage to the South African constitution? Now, it's very important to know all these things because mm -hmm. further knowledge of all things um, monarchy-related in this country helps us to understand why it is that these monarchies are still relevant in the country. It gives us a partial understanding of that. So we are keen to know. Thanks. All right. Let's take one more voice note. Let's take one more voice note. Uh, thank you very much, Philippine Everton. You know, I, I'm not against the monarch. I'm not against the monarch. But for somebody to say that the, the white people came with uh, with democracy and, 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 and destroy our culture using uh, the religion is unfortunately, and that's not true. Because on the other hand, remember that in the during the monarchy in the past, before 200 years ago, women were abused, were deprived their right to property, to own the property. And person with disability, I want to make it clear, people with disability, blind, physical challenge or all, were not, they, they were, were killed. And some of them were isolated because of their challenges. 
but democracy ensures that each one of us have the right to live, the right to association, and the right to freedom of expression. Thank you very much. Yeah, lots to think about. Slight correction on my part. Democracy has not been around for 200 years. It's only been around for 27 years. Before that, it was nothing close to democracy. It was just subjugation after the other, evolving between whoever is the king to queen to the next. Your response, nonetheless, to everything said in this segment, Andy Lazul. Um, there's a lot to respond to, but let me try to narrow it down. I think there's one big concern about culture, about how monarchies are the individuals responsible for preserving culture in the African context. But I often d disagree with this idea, because if you look at how culture has evolved in Africa, North, Central Africa, and here in the South, it has often been the people which have driven certain cultural changes and the conditions in which we've lived in and how we've responded to them, which have led to the evolution of our culture. Culture is constituted through what people do, through how people understand their life in this instance and the ceremonies that they partake in and whatnot. So this idea that monarchs are the sole preservers of culture simply isn't true if you observe how people interact with it on a daily basis. So there's that first concern. Then there's also, again, this other concern that democracy is somehow responsible for the collapse of African culture and for the alienation of African people from our culture, which again simply isn't true. Democracy is a system of governments. However, what did occur with the arrival of the Europeans was an attempt, long before democracy arrived, to alienate black people from their culture in general through various mechanisms. And although we may be discontent with our democracy in terms of it not delivering the things that people may need, that does not mean you should throw the baby out with the bathwater bath because then you have to contemplate what are the alternatives. I often think that what South Africa suffers from is not the presence of democracy, but rather the dilution of democracy. People are very alienated from the ability to make choices about how their communities are governed. And that's often given to elites. And that's precisely the problem. Not the fact that they, ha they have too much participation. Rather, we have a diluted version of democracy. Um, and then one of your callers raised a very important point, is that often indigenous leadership is a huge cost to the South African taxpayer. If I'm correct, I think last year the Zulu royal family received 70 million rand to upkeep um, themselves. And you have to ask yourself, in a province where so many people are poor, where so many people are unemployed, where inequality is skyrocketing, what justifies that amount of wealth provided to one family? A family which has not used their power correctly to uplift the province, but often a family that has abused their position and their power. So just as a final parting thing, I think as Africans we have to ask serious questions about what we want our future to look like about how we want to organize ourselves economically and how we want to organize ourselves politically. And we mustn't be attached to the past and structures of the past if they don't prove to provide us with benefits. I think we need to bring Contralesa here. This is a full hour's discussion and debate. <laughs> it's a substantial discussion, yes. Certainly. But I thank you so much for your time, Andile. Much appreciated, man. Thank you. It's been a great chat.
The relevance of monarchs in democratic societies in Africa 2.0 loading. Contralesa is going to come through for sure. These guns that came out blazing today, load them because you're going to need them again. 2042, after the break, we continue.